All right, well, let's go and open the Word of God to John chapter 1. If you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, I'd certainly appreciate that. Continuing on now through our series, we got, got back on. I know you heard from, from Ryan and heard from Larry the last couple weeks, and uh, God just blesses us with, with gifted men and uh, teachers in our church to, to present the Word of God. So that's an amazing thing that we have. Uh, I'm thankful for both of them to step up and uh, to help while I was away. Uh, we are back, though, on to our series, Written So That We Might Believe. We're harmonizing the Gospels, right? So we're in the book of John, and we're going to be in chapter 1, looking today at, uh, at Jesus making disciples and, and what, what that looks like, making disciples. Um, it was interesting trying to figure out what to title this sermon. I, at one point, as early as this morning, I still had a, a sermon title of Hide and Seek, and uh, I, I just couldn't quite wrap my mind fully around that, my heart around that, but I, I think making disciples fits more appropriately. We've, we've kind of seen this whole progression of John the baptizer being the one, the forerunner, right? The one that goes before and paves away and makes straight uh, away in the desert for the Lord. And, and John is continually pointing people to Jesus, calling them out of their tradition, calling them out of their religious system, calling them to come to faith in Christ. So uh, John, while well, he was an amazing, amazing person, in fact, Jesus, and we'll see later on uh, in this series, but Jesus calls John the greatest man who has ever lived. Uh, he was a great man and indeed someone worthy to follow and worthy to listen to and, and to learn from. But even John pointed everyone to Jesus and said, that's who you need to follow. That's the one who deserves your allegiance. That's the only one that can actually save you from your sin. So he continued to point people to Jesus. And we'll see that again today. So we're going to be in John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 35 actually through 51 together. We'll read that in a minute. I'll go ahead and pray for us and then we'll get into the word, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this great morning you've given us to come together and to worship you. But God, just to, to not only worship you, but to, to hear from you as well. God, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is here, that you are indeed in this place. And God, let us not forget that. Let us always know and remember that you are present with us. And God, you're here to guide and direct uh, the affairs of our hearts and our lives. So God, we ask that you would challenge us and you'd, you'd shape us and conform us into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. That God, we would be totally um, allegiant to him. God, there'd be no other affection of our heart that would be greater than that of Jesus. So God, mold us now, uh, inform us from your word today, convict us of sin. God, move us to a place of repentance and obedience to the Son. And we pray it all in his precious name. Amen. All right, so we're in John chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 35 through 51. It goes through the end of the chapter. Uh, 35 uh, covers a couple of verses we've already covered, but I thought it was good for the context today. It says, The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When they saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two that had heard, heard John and followed him. Yeah, he first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. 
Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, Do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, Truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Uh, a neat, neat part of the uh, first ministry of, of Jesus. We're going to dive into that, and we're going to look at the, uh, the idea of making disciples. So we're going to get right into that. Uh, making disciples, number one, John points them to the Savior. Number one is John points them to the Savior. Now, before this, I, I want us to know in, in the first part of John's gospel, now we have to understand, we're talking about John pointing them to the Savior. This is John the baptizer. But John the apostle is the one here who is writing the text, right? Inspired by God. And, and like, likely, John is one of the first two disciples that followed Jesus because John said, go follow Jesus. There he is. And he's not named, and John doesn't name himself throughout the gospel of John. Uh, he's, he's the beloved one, right? The disciple Jesus loved. And so here we see probably it's going to be uh, John who is, is following Jesus here. Um, and then what we, what we find also, though, backing up in John, I, I want us to see this idea because there's a lot of come and sees in this text. Like, like let's see, let's experience. Let's, I want you to, to see it with your own eyes and be transformed. But backing up, John, John the Apostle, writes about Jesus in uh, verses 10 through 16. He says that he, that is Jesus or the Word, was in the world and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him, right? Recognize. There's that, you can circle that or underline it, see. They didn't see him. They didn't come and see. They didn't recognize him. Oftentimes they're too busy with their lives or too busy with themselves or too busy with their religion and they didn't see him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive, here's the promise, but to all who did receive, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who would believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. So John's setting up this gospel. We'll see this idea of being born of God throughout the gospel of John and to be born again. But these are to people who did receive. They saw, they recognized, they came and saw Jesus and they were changed forever through faith in him as they believed and received. In verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and it says, we observed, and see, in God, in, in the flesh, God revealed himself and revealed his glory to us, and it says, we observed, there's that scene, we observed his glory, as glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is amazing here. They didn't see originally, and now we say, we observed. We are seeing. We see, when our hearts and eyes are open to the Father, what we see is, is the Son of God sent from the Father, who is full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, This was the one whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. Now this is the idea, as we go into this idea of making disciples, that we actually see and are forever changed through faith in Christ. And we're forever changed because the glorious one continues to lavish and pour on grace upon grace out of his fullness. Which means there's nothing in us, no, no filling in us, nothing in us that can, can accomplish that grace upon grace. It's only in the fullness of Christ, of God come to earth, 
that we receive grace upon grace by his fullness. So understand, that's the context we walk into these next verses with. We, we walk into it saying, we need to observe the glory of the one and only Son. We need to, re- to receive him by faith. And we need, then we will receive him. We will also receive and be lavished upon us grace upon grace from him and from his fullness. What we see in Christ is grace upon grace and a call to receive him as Savior. So the first point again, making disciples, we see that John is pointing them, those his followers, to Jesus, to the Savior. He points them to the Savior. You look at verses 35 and 30 through 37 in our text today. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. See, if, if they want the Savior, there he is. He's right there. And when they go follow him, they're not following a trend. They, they really wanted a Savior. They wanted to know who the Messiah was, who the promised one was. And later on, we'll see that question needs to be put in our heart. Who, who are we looking for? What are we really looking for when we come to the Savior, when we come to Jesus? Because some people aren't looking for a Savior. They're looking for a, a spiritual crutch or a fix of some sort or an allegiance. But they were not looking for a trend Jesus did talk about those people who, who didn't really care about what the Savior had to offer. All they cared about was their belly. He said this in John 3, verses 25 to 30. There's a, a story, a dispute arose between John's disciples and, uh, and a Jew about purification. Sorry, this is, a, this is John talking to his disciples. They came, they came uh, to John and told him, Rabbi, uh, the one you testified about who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Like, oh no, we had a thing going on and Jesus came and stole our thunder and now everyone's leaving and going over there. They were worried about that for some reason. They wanted to make this movement happen and continue forward. And John responded, no one can receive anything unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, so John's putting them in their place saying, listen, I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. And here's what John said. He, that is Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. Uh, the one whom Jesus said about uh, there was no, there was, there, he's, he's the greatest man ever. He, he, had, he had people he follow, that were following him through uh, thick and thin and, and wanted to be around John and hear from John and learn from John. But all the while, John continually pointed them to Jesus. Making disciples means pointing people not to heroically follow Jesus, but to humbly follow Jesus, to humbly turn to the one who can take our place and forgive our sins through faith. And this is important. So many people want to follow someone. Think about the David's mighty men who followed David. What was their job? Was their job to sit under his, his feet and learn from him? No, their job was to protect David at all costs. They were, they were David's defenders. They were the ones that went, went with David, surrounded David, fought on behalf of David. They were the king's army, the king's mighty men. And, and oftentimes we think that's the way allegiance should be. We're going to fight for this. We're going we're to just do whatever we can to, to make sure that this, this figure is protected. Let me ask you, does Jesus need your protection? He doesn't, does he? Jesus doesn't need you to protect him. See, when we follow Jesus, it's not like following a king or a leader and saying, I'm going to defend and support and I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I can. And listen, this is that crazy time of, that, that of year and season in our country, right? This political stuff going on. I support so-and-so. Well, I support so-and-so. Great. And, and 
maybe you should support Jesus, but Jesus doesn't really even need your support. What he wants to do is say, I'm here to support you. So when John says, look, the Lamb of God, we see him say other places, look, the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of the world. What he's saying is, you and I do not need to go and fight for and defend for Jesus. He has done it for us. And we are in desperate need of what he can offer us. And John knew. He said, I, I, I'm not the Savior. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one who is going to go to the cross. I'm not the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb sacrifice who will die on your behalf. That's not me. But Jesus is. And don't go over there heroically following him like, oh, we're going to defend you and we'll pull out the sword and do whatever we take. We see that even with his disciples trying to do that, right? Jesus said, no, 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 I'm, I'm God. I can, I, I've got this handled. You have, you have more of a need for me than I have a need for you. Your need is to be forgiven of your sins. We must humbly come to him and turn to him in faith, turning to the only one that can take our place and forgive our sins. And that's Jesus. It's not John. Many follow someone to show support, but we follow him the way sheep follow a shepherd because we need to be protected. We need to have our sins forgiven. We are weak and he is strong. We are foolish. He is wise. We are hungry and he is the bread of life. And when we are thirsty, he is the living water. He is the lamb that was slain. And he is also the great shepherd of the sheep. We need him. So John is pointing people to Jesus because they need him. We ought to do the same. And Jesus speaks about this later on too. He's, he's reclining at the table at Levi's house. This is Mark chapter 2. And many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, uh, for there were many who were following him. When, uh, when the scribes and Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And here's the, here's the idea. These people aren't there to support him. These people aren't there to defend him. These people can't obviously carry out the offices that he would have them carry out as king. Why, are, why is he dining with these people? Jesus' response was amazing. When he heard this, he told them, It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. That's what Jesus is all about. He's not here to call the righteous and surround himself with an army. He's the one that fought for us. He's here to call sinners to humbly repent of their sin and believe in faith that he is the one that can forgive us. So for you and I, humble yourself. See, observe your need for the Savior and run to him because he is the great shepherd, the lamb that was slain for you and for me. It also means when we point people to Jesus, we aren't pointing them to some political stance we aren't, or, 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 or a government agency or a king with like all these offices that we're going to be in charge of things. When we're pointing people to Jesus, we have to let them know that they have a need for him. He doesn't need them. They need him. That leads us to number two. On this journey of making disciples, we see that the disciples are invited to come and see. They're invited to come and see. So the, the two disciples followed Jesus, right? The next day, uh, it said John was standing with his two disciples. And when he saw them passing, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And they followed Jesus. Then it goes in and says, when they turned, or when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, 
He asked them, what are you looking for? This is a key question. This is so, so key for our heart to really be exposed. What are we looking for? When we follow Jesus, what are we looking for? Are we looking for some kind of stability or a crutch? Are we looking for some kind of uh, a club to be a part of? What are we looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So maybe the answer to the question is, we're looking for the place you're staying. I, I don't think that's really what it was, though. And really the deeper context of, of the translation here is, we want to follow you and have this conversation. We need to, we need to know more about what you're offering here, what, what you're all about. And what Jesus says, he says, come and you'll see. Come and you will see. And I think there's, there's a heart behind this. We'll see that in a minute. But come and see, he replied. So they went and saw. So they went and saw, and they went and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. And it was about four in the afternoon. But that couldn't be all that there is to this. It wasn't just, show me the place you're laying your head. Show me the place where you're eating. Show me the, the, the kitchen table where you're, you're hanging out. That's not what they were interested in. They were interested in Jesus as a whole. Who are you as the Messiah, and what are you offering us? as followers of Christ. Why do we know that? Because look at the next thing. It said, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, uh, one of them who learned or had heard John followed him, he first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found what? We found the Messiah, which is translated Christ, and brought Simon to Jesus. So they, they wanted to know, what are you looking for? And I think in the heart of these disciples, we're looking for the Messiah. We're looking for the promised one. And Jesus invites them, come and see. And they saw. We don't know all that happened there, but they saw. Why do we know that? Because the next day, Andrew goes out to get, get Simon and says, hey, come, we found the Messiah. And, and this is how our, our making disciples should be. Once we have found Jesus, once we have found the Messiah, once he has changed our heart, once we, he has forgiven our sins, we should be excited and on fire to go grab somebody else and say, hey, look who I found. Look who I found. And, I, and I've, listen, I've told you this in, in recent uh, sermons. Oftentimes, people are like, well, I, I should invite someone to church. And that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. I mean, inviting people to church is good, and they can come and see what kind of we do, but it could be kind of skewed a little bit by their past experience. But, but if we invite them to come and see the save, Savior, it is then the Savior who they will savor. And Jesus is the most satisfying of anything. Amen? So we invite people to come and see. So he goes, goes to tell, tells uh, Simon, he says, come and see, we found the Messiah. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is Peter. And that Peter, Cephas, that nickname, the rock, right? He's going to be the rock of the church. And, and that's a lot of pressure probably on this new convert. Like, what? I'm the rock? Yeah, it's okay. You'll be the rock. Not like Dwayne Johnson is the rock, but a different rock here. And we have, we have Peter like, coming to believe and coming to faith in Christ. Why? Because he was invited to come and see the Messiah. See, we should be excited. Not, not, listen, when we're talking about political figures, we're talking about leaders in, in our society, it can be divisive. It can be kind of fiery. Hey, hey, come inside with me. Come and be with my person. But that, that means that we're there to support them and lift up their agenda. With Jesus, it's different. We're not asking people to come and, and support Jesus. We're coming, asking people to come and be supported by Jesus, the Savior, the only one who can forgive their sins. So they're saying, come and see the change that has happened. They came and they saw the one that had been, 
they'd been looking for, the one they'd been waiting for, the, the promised one from God. And, and I love the question, again, going back to that, what are you looking for? Are you only looking for a figurehead? Are you only looking for a miracle? Like, oh, Jesus, yeah, he, he can do a miracle. Are you only looking for a club to be a part of? Like, oh, I like these people. It kind of seems like it's fun. I can belong to something. And maybe you're looking just for identity. Like, I'm just, I'm a part of that group. I can name myself as a, as a Christian. I want to identify that way. You know, there was a time in, this, in history in our, our country, and not, probably not so much anymore, but there was a time where 80% of our country ident- identified themselves as Christian. They weren't. They aren't. But they identified. We, what are they looking for? I want identity. I, it, it sounds good to be called a Christian. Of course, I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm a good person. Of course, I believe that I'm not all there is in life. That's what they would want to say, and hoping that that was enough to earn them favor and credit with God, but it's not. That number has gone down, by the way. But what are you looking for? This, this, here's the interaction with Jesus and, and some of the followers. In John chapter 6, Jesus had left and gone, gone on the sea and went to the other side. And they were like, where'd he go? What happened? Let's find him. We need to find Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Like, wh- where have you been? I, you, you slipped away. And Jesus answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me. So what are you looking for? You are looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Now, I'm going to pause there for a minute. Not because you saw the signs. Not because John came as a forerunner and said, listen, this is the Messiah. This is the promised one of God. Here's what Moses and the prophets have to say. This is the one. This is Jesus. Not because you saw all those signs pointing to me, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. There's a miracle that happened. We had a couple fish and some loaves, and we fed thousands with it. You come to me because you were filled with the food. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. There's something more to this, right? Which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. There's an eternal aspect to this. It's not just the temporal. It's not just the earthly, the flesh. There's an eternal reward here, an eternal approval. They asked them, what can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. We want to, be on, we want to identify with you. We want to be on this. What can we do? And he very wisely answered, the only answer he could, Jesus replied, this is the work of God. This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. That you believe in the one he has sent. See, when the, the invitation is out there to come and see, we come and see Jesus. We savor, savor Jesus and we believe through faith that he is the one that has been sent for us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And listen, when we come and see and we believe, we are forever changed. He makes us new. He called Simon. He said, I'm going to change your name. You're not Simon anymore. You're Peter. Later says, on this rock, Peter, on this rock, Cephas, I will build my church. Listen, there's no greater life or identity than the one that Jesus gives you. This is an outpouring of his grace upon grace that we receive, that we observe, that we receive, we believe through faith in Christ. He will change everything. Number three, in making disciples, Jesus calls them to follow him. He calls them to follow him. So we've seen that uh, Jesus 
or John points to the Savior. Hey, there's a Savior. We ought to be doing that in our lives. Hey, my friend, my family, here's the Savior Jesus. Here's the Lamb of God. It's not some, some you know, public interest group. It's not some uh, little, little uh, political rally we're doing. This is, this is the Lamb of God who takes this way the sin of what? The world. Everyone has sin. Everyone has a need for the Savior. Everyone needs that Savior. And then we're invited in that conversation. We're also invited to come and see. Not just invited to church or invited to the club or invited to the identity. We're invited to have a new identity through faith in Christ. We're invited to come and see that he is the Savior and to savor him. And then in that calling, Jesus calls them to follow as well. See, Jesus is at work here too. They're seeking the Savior and the Savior is seeking them. Let's look at verses 43 through 46. The next day they decided, or Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so do the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. I love this exchange. There's, there's a, an amazing thing here. And sometimes Nathaniel gets a bad rap because he, he kind of disses on Nazareth, right? I mean, here's the deal. Uh, Philip, uh, is, he, he's heard and responded to Christ. And this is a neat thing. Philip's heard and responded to Christ. And then what does he do? He goes sharing Christ with other people. He says, I, I've got a friend, Nathaniel. I've got to go talk to Nathaniel and let him know all about Jesus. And he goes and tells him, we found the one. We found the one. We're pointing him to the Messiah. We're pointing him to the one the prophets talked about. Uh, it's Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Maybe you've heard of him. I don't know. And, and his response is just that classic, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, he tries to explain about Jesus, but, but it, it was a small town. Nazareth was a small town about four miles away from Cana, which is where Nathaniel is from. So there's likely some hometown rivalry here, right? Like if you live in Dunsmere and you say, oh, someone's from Mount Shasta, you might say, can anything good come from Mount Shasta? Or if you live in Mount Shasta and someone's from, you might say, or weed, or, you know, it's the surrounding areas. We have those hometown rivalries. It gets really intense usually during the fall, during football season, right? It's like, oh, we got to crush this team. They're our rival. And, and the biggest games are the hometown rival games. It's the ones that are from way out of town. Yeah, they're fun. They're a game. But when it's, when it's the rivals, when it, you know you've got to stand up for your team, right? So Nathaniel might know a thing or two about Nazareth. And he might just be a little bit of hometown rivalry. So he just blurts out there, can anything good come from Nazareth? I think there's more to that statement, though, than that. Because something's going on in, in Nathaniel's heart here. And we'll see that in, in the next point, in the next part of the passage. But, but Jesus is calling people to follow him. And, I, and so he calls Philip and says, follow me. And then Philip goes out and says, what does he say? The same thing we saw just in the point previous. What, how do you win the argument? How do you win an argument with someone... That's, that's talking about hometown rivalries. You probably shouldn't win it by arguing more. And I, I, probably the best way to end an argument is the invitation. Why don't you come and see? Come and see. And then someone has the opportunity to say, no, I'm not going to. I'm just going to reject it altogether. Any notion that was there, I'm done with. But I loved how Philip went to Nathaniel and said, "Here, I, we found the Messiah. We found him. Nathaniel's skeptical, like, well, Nazareth, really? Instead of arguing more and more about it, he said, just come and see. Come and see. You and I would do well to respond that way. Come and see. Our words 
won't win every battle. But seeing and encountering the risen Lord changes lives. Come and see. He invites us to come and see and to follow him and to come and find rest for our souls. Jesus is probably calling you or has called you. Come, follow me. Come and see. Come, follow me. Come, find rest. I hope you'll respond. Finally, number four, in this adventure of making disciples, number four is this, the Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. We're going to focus in right now on, on Nathaniel and on, on what Jesus said to Nathaniel and what Nathaniel very well may have been thinking while he was all alone under this fig tree. So let's look at 47 through 51. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite with whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Well, a couple of things we see here. We see that Jesus sees Nathanael under the fig tree when he wasn't actually present. So he is omnipresent. We see that Jesus is omnipresent and he reveals himself to Nathanael as omnipresent. Nathanael being someone who would understand that God is only omnipresent. And then he, he talks to his heart. He, he's like, I know what you were thinking, what you were contemplating. And this is the omniscience of God. I, I know everything. You can't hide from me. Even though you're all alone and you feel alone, you can't hide from me. What, what I want us to kind of look at here is, is this word guile and deceit. Uh, in the first thing it says, there, you are a true Israelite within, within, uh, with whom there is no deceit or guile, some translations say. Uh, some have actually translated this to mean within the, with, uh, with whom there is no Jacob. Referring way back to the ancestor Jacob. And, and I'm going to read something about Jacob. Jacob, right? Jacob was born in Esau. Jacob was the second born, not the first born. And, but he cheated Esau out of the birthright, right? And then out of his father's blessing. Esau got really, really angry about that. And he says, Esau, in Genesis 27, uh, he, or Isaac says, he says, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. So Jacob, deceit, Jacob and deceit, right? So he said, uh, Esau responded, isn't, isn't he rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me twice now. He took my birthright and look now, he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you saved a blessing for me? Esau got mad because his brother, the cheater, Jacob, the deceit, deceitful one, the cheater took his blessing. He took his birthright. And, and Esau got so mad, he, he, had, he intended to kill Jacob. So, so um, their mom favored Jacob and said, you need to get out of here. You need to go. You're about to get killed. Maybe, maybe this will all pass over and, and your brother will be fine in a couple days, but go and get out of here. So Jacob, you know, it's one of those things. You, you, you feel like you're blessed. You feel like you have the birthright, but you've cheated, cheated your way into that. And now, now your family's upset, right? Now your brother's upset. Now you could be killed by your brother because of what you've done. It's like, did I really win? I don't know if I really won. And he heads out into the desert. He's like, I'm going to go. I'm gonna, and and, and I, there's this wondering going on. And there's, there's this, the language we're going to see both with guile and then some other connections we'll see. I'm going to read the rest of this text in 28. And starting in verse 11, 
So Esau wanted to kill him. Jacob went out. And it said, Jacob, when he reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set, he took one of the stones from that place, put it there at his head, and lay down in that place. Nice pillow, right? It's a wonderful pillow. I need a rock. I'll put a rock under my head. Like, just think of the loneliness. Think of the despair. Think of the picture here. Like, what, what is there? This is just tough and hard, and I don't, I don't like what I've done. I'm not sure I can swallow this. And then he dreamed. He dreamed. And there's some verbiage here connecting to what Jesus said in Nathaniel that is why I think that, that we see something more deeper, deeper here going on, at least potentially, than what is really seen. He said, then he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground with, with its top reaching the sky, and God's angels were going up and down on it. And the Lord was standing there beside him saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out towards the west and east and north and south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave until I have done what I have promised. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know. Now listen, this is not, this is not all about Jacob. This is not all about how good Jacob is. Jacob is not. He's, he's full of guile, and he's a cheater. He's a deceiver. And later on, eventually in his life, what does he do? He wrestles with God, finally. And his name is changed from Jacob to Israel. Eventually, God gets through to Jacob. But before that, Jacob is full of guile, full of deceit. But even still, God is going to use Jacob and use Jacob's descendants as, as a, a place to show his promise and his covenantal love and to pursue him. So it's an amazing thing. Jacob feels all alone, dry and parched, laying on a hard rock. And when he dreams, he's seeing angels going up and down from heaven on this ladder, right? Jacob's ladder, the staircase. And God says, I'm, I'm with you. So the it's an amazing thing. God says, I'm here, even in this place, this dry, dark, weary place, this place you feel all alone, maybe a place you've created on your own because of your own sin, because of your own deceitfulness. I'm still here, and I'm going to do something. I'm up to something. And Jacob wakes up, and he realizes the Lord is in this place, and I did not know. So you go back to Nathaniel. Think about Nathaniel. Truly, here is an Israelite within. There is no deceit. Why would he say that? Well, Nathaniel's pretty upfront, isn't he? There's nothing good can come from Nazareth. He doesn't really hold back. He's very honest and true. But something was going on in the heart of Nathaniel under that fig tree. Something that Jesus saw and knew. He was there questioning and wondering and pondering life. What was it? Jesus was saying, I, I saw you and I know what you were thinking about. And, and, he, and he makes mention a couple of things to, to kind of come back and forth to this. The guile. There's no Jacob in you. There's no deceit in you. And then he, then he talks about, truly you're going to see greater things. I tell you, you'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descend, descending on the Son of Man. I love this. You think about this. Here's, here's my take. And a lot of theologians and commentators say the same thing. It's not, it's not in our text. But how do we make that connection? Nathaniel probably sitting under that fig tree contemplating. Wondering, he, he knows John the Baptist is out there. He knows there's disciples uh, being following John. He knows something's up and they're saying something about the Messiah. Maybe someone's seen the Messiah. He was baptized recently. But he's under this fig tree. And he's wondering about the promise of God, the covenant of God. When will these things take place? And he thinks about Jacob sitting there, on, uh, laying out flat, laying his head against a rock. And, and, and he's, he's there under a fig tree. Maybe there's a rock next by or next door to him. He's, he's thinking about the same thing. 
It's like, it's like, is God even here? Is God even up to something? Just like Jacob was promised, yes, God is up to something, and God will continue to pursue his people through Jacob, and that the Lord surely is in this place, that you are not alone, you just might not have known. He goes on to further that. He says, not only are you going to see the angels descending and, a, and ascending into heaven, like, like Jacob saw, and how God said the promise is real and it's going to continue on. He says, in fact, I, I am the one they're going to be ascending and descending on. I'm, I'm the promised one. I'm the fulfillment of that promise from, to Jacob. I am here as the way from earth into heaven. And right away, that hits Nathaniel's heart. He knows. He knows. And he says, Rabbi. He changes his heart. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. When Nathaniel responds to Philip's invitation to come and see, he exposes himself then to the Messiah. And he, he knows instantly that Jesus is the answer to Jacob's dream and to the longings of his own heart. He has found the Savior the promised one. And, and the last thing I want us to see here is the Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. It's so important for us. One of the great tragedies of, of the Christian faith is that we go through life forgetting that the Lord is in this place. He sees, He knows, He's here, He's there. He's with us. In many ways, we've downplayed the power and the presence of God and the Holy Spirit to the extent we don't even see him at work. We sit there under the fig tree. We lay down on, the, on the, the rock that is our pillow. We wonder, is he really there? But God is in this place. And sometimes we just don't know it. We go to work. And we don't know it. We don't know he's there. We go to school and we don't know that he's there. We have personal relationships with people. And we forget that he is there. We just don't know it. This mentality is even intruded into the church, and, and the danger is for it to intrude into our church. That we come together and we sing songs of praise, we pray together, we worship together, but we don't really know that He is here. He is here in our midst. And listen, that form of belief, that form of Christianity is empty and not at all interesting to the world. They don't need more religion. They need to see and seek and savor the Savior. We must realize that in the deepest times of loneliness, of sorrow, or in the busy, busiest routines of life, that God is here. That God is here. That God is right there. And listen, He is calling us to come and see. He's calling us to be made new, and He's calling us to invite others to seek and savor Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's go make disciples. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your great love for us, and, and God, we ask that you would, you would help us to see and savor Jesus as the Messiah. Father, that we, we aren't trying to join a group or a club or just identify with something. We, we want to be identified as a Christ follower, someone who, who is in Christ and has been made new by faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you know everything, that you're everywhere and you're all-powerful. And God, we yield our hearts to you. And we ask that you would 
Help us know and understand that you are the gate to heaven, that the angels are ascending and descending on you, the Son of God, and we can know that you are the Savior. God, please help us to to move beyond just a passive following to an active, vibrant faith, a faith that goes above and beyond to seek friends and family and the lost and invite them to come and see the Savior, Jesus Christ. Give us strength for that. Give us endurance for that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.